Welcome back to Money Talks. Jeff Olin is head of Vision Capital, but I want to give you a number before I start here. If you've taken the Toronto Stock Exchange Composite Index from the inception of Vision Opportunity Fund, uh, that would be July 2008, the Vision Opportunity Fund has outperformed it. Think how well the, the TSX has done over that period, uh, you know, from uh, July 2008. The Vision Opportunity Fund is up nine times more. Wow, nine times more. We'll get into that. How? What's he doing? Jeff Olin joins me on the line now. Uh, Jeff, first of all, appreciate you taking the time, and I want to just get right into this with you. I love this quote that you use. It's the best way to make money for investors is not to lose it. My goodness, that should be one of those things on a little sign that people hang over their desks, I think. Uh, indeed. I mean, particularly at these kinds of uh, great volatile markets, uh, uh, globally, uh, never mind here in Canada. I mean, uh, we believe preservation cap of capital is a place to start. Focus on value. Don't get seduced by market trends. Don't get seduced by yield. Uh, do your homework. Uh, well, I mean, you, you you gloss over those, but those are absolutely key. I mean, one of the biggest uh, worries I have is that in the search for yield, when they've sort of manipulated interest rates down, people might be taking a little more risk uh, than they know just to kind of, you know, they got to make ends meet in some cases. They rely on that investment income. So I think some people probably have drifted into uh, higher risk than they may appreciate. Indeed. I mean, this is a global phenomena. I mean, you've got an aging population around the world. You can't get any yield by putting your money in the bank. You know, recently had six countries in Europe with negative yields and five-year bonds, and investors around the world are looking for yield. Where can they get yield? They need yield. You know, you've got multi-generational wealth in, in Europe just trying to hang on to the capital. So you can't get it in the bank. You can't in the, get in the bond market. Now, real estate generally has the virtue of a predictable cash flow stream that helps. But if you translate that into making investments based on yield, you can get in real trouble. So we look at total return. I mean, you can use, lose one year's worth of yield in one day in the stock market. So, you mm-hmm. know, you got to be careful. Look at total return and predictability and quality of cash flow. You know, one of the words that, of course, we throw around is diversification. Uh, I want to come back to that in the best way to make money for investors is not to lose it. You know, from that perspective, uh, do you use diversification uh, or do you really uh, select specific types of, uh, in this case, real estate-based investments? Yeah, I mean, I think there's been way too much play on diversification. Clearly, investors should have some diversification in their portfolio. But, you know, we at Vision believe in taking concentrated positions in our best ideas. You know, I don't know about you, but if you have three or four really good ideas a year and you really do your homework you should have some confidence and conviction in those ideas. And, and we think you get over-diversified. I mean, these mutual funds that have 40, 50, 60 names in their funds, it's impossible to understand these names. So, you know, we'll have 15 to 20 names in our fund, but our top five or six names will typically represent at least 40 to 50% of the value of our fund. We're active, we're hands-on. Uh, and we're also one of the things to your original premise. We not only buy stocks, go long, but we short stocks which means we can benefit when the market goes down. Uh, It's interesting with diversification. uh, I mean, this is too sophisticated maybe to do in a moment or two on the radio, but, you know, uh, you've got it. You really need 
you know, we we call it diversification, yet we're correlated completely. You know, for example, if there's we saw a decline off the top of my head, I think it was Wednesday down 360 or something. You know, every stock goes down in that environment. You know, so that you can diversify all you want. You're not really mitigating your risk, and that's what comes back to that point you just made, Jeff. I I love the fact that in your fund. Uh, you can identify which you have certain segments or, or you know, uh, that you don't like. And you go, no, I think that thing's overvalued. And you'll actually make money as it goes down. Exactly. I mean, specifically, for example, here in Canada today, uh, virtually every city, major city in the country is suffering and going to suffer from an oversupply and overbuilding of office buildings. Uh, Calgary, it's significant. We're already at 15% vacancy rates there, going to 20%. And this was happening before oil prices cratered. I mean, you could see this just based on the supply of new buildings, new construction. At the same time, you've got a secular move in demand. We don't need as much office space. You know, we don't have those law libraries anymore. You know, when I was working in the real estate industry with uh, uh, in the 80s, we built buildings with 350 300 square feet per employees. Now they're building them 150 square feet per employees. So technology has really changed the business, and you've got oversupply in this market, and this is not a, a sector you want to be uh, heavily exposed to. And then you adapt that, as you say, into the current conditions where you're seeing, you know, Calgary is coming from, uh, you know, strong growth in GDP, a year, you know, full year ago. Now it looks like it's going to shrink this year. Estimates anywhere between half a percent to one and a half percent. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the oil industry uh, and, and the related industries certainly don't need that level of office space. So it plays into your major trend to boot. Yeah, you see it in your hometown of Vancouver, a lot of office building. You see a lot of building in Toronto. Certainly Edmonton has got, you know, significant overbuilding. And so, you know, we're short. Uh, we've been short a, a REIT called Dream Office REIT for two and a half years. Our original premise was supply and demand fundamentals being negative and lack of alignment uh, with external management. Uh, it worked out very well. We didn't know oil prices were going to crater. We didn't know that that an NDP government was going to win the election in Alberta and create some pall on the space from a business climate. These have just added fuel to our fire. And by the way, the Vision Opportunity Fund's been recognized, uh, uh, you know, as one of the top three best opportunistic hedge funds in Canada it was 2011, 2012, and 2013. This is an example why, looking for opportunities. Uh, Jeff, can I switch gears and go to the sort of plus side of things? Now, that's plus, by the way, because you were right on that call, for example, on the Dream Office REIT to go down. That was a plus for your investors. I mean, let's just, so I'm not sure how to phrase this. You know, the stuff you're playing to go up, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we really like apartments in both sides of the border. I mean, Firstly, big picture, uh, while we have two-thirds of our gross exposure, total dollars invested in Canada, we have two-thirds of our net investment, either the, the net long position in the United States. But in both sides of the border, we like apartments in Canada and the United States. I mean, you have, again, you want to talk about secular changes in office being negative. Secular changes of apartments are very positive. You've got the echo boom population, those between 20 and 34 uh, years of age, uh, making up about 63% of the population, going to 68%, and 60% of echo boomers rent. Uh, you know, household formations, you know, you have 8.7 million new rental housing formations over the last decade, whereas owner-occupied went down 1.2 million. You know, mothers gave, giving birth. In 1970, the average age of a mom giving birth was 21. Today is 26. 
1950, people got married at 20. Today it's 27. So all kinds of demographic and secular factors that are positive for apartments. Supply has been reasonably balanced. We like apartments. Uh, you can mark the market uh, rents every month. Um, the improving economy bodes well for it. Um, and so we have names in both Canada and the United States that we, we most, 70% of our net exposure is in apartments. Yeah, and now let's take that, that's the big picture, into, a, you know, into the specifics, uh, of course, because you have to uh, make investment specific in investment decisions. I'm just interested in how you get from, I get the big picture, it's fascinating actually, uh, now into the, you know, now do you choose city or obviously the building and some ramifications that way or, or, or considerations rather, uh, but how do you go from there? Yeah, we look, the first thing we start is top-down. Uh, we look at supply and demand fundamentals by property type, by geographic region. So, you know, what's happening in uh, in residential in Dallas? What's happening in, uh, you know, apartments in, in Toronto and Vancouver? Uh, and then we go bottom-up for valuations, management teams, balance sheets, et cetera. And, and yeah. that translates into, uh, you know, a, mix, a, a managed portfolio that diversifies some, some risk by the properties we like and the geographic regions we like. I'm talking to Jeff Olings, the head of the Vision Opportunity Fund. Uh, been a terrific performer, and you can hear the kinds of things that uh, Vision Opportunity Fund is invested in. When we come back, I'll ask him more specifics, though, maybe a couple names we can see, the kinds of stuff that he's looking at, translate it from the big into the, as Jeff just described, how he goes about it. I'll get a couple of names from him right here across the Chorus Radio Network. A reminder, if you want to review anything you've heard on Money Talks, just simply go to moneytalks.net. Uh, you can rehear the interview with Jeff Olin. You can go back here what Brent Wyatt had and Mike's big fat idea, Mike Levy there. Easy to do, though. Go to moneytalks.net. Just click on there. You can also click on the daily business comment. And my recommendation on that is uh, I can't believe how cliched most of the thinking I hear, especially in an election campaign that people tell me the top issues. The pollsters tell us the top issues are economics and yet we refuse to talk to economists about those issues. Hey, speaking of my Goofy Award, I'll be giving it to you before the top of the hour. Jeff Olin, as I say, is on the line right now with me. Vision Opportunity Funds, uh, you know, where I found uh, Jeff was years ago because I was watching his funds consistently outperform, doesn't matter if it was Canadian or U.S., real estate-focused funds. I also like that aspect that we alluded to earlier, that if Jeff liked a particular area to go down, which I think is key in these volatile markets, he could play it. So, uh, uh, as I say, that's why he's here. Always enjoy talking with him. Jeff, let's talk, uh, you know, just sort of take a little bit of what you've been talking to us about, and I'm going to throw out some ideas, and again, you can just examine a little bit more for us. But, like, if I was, you know, you guys have to go out and you're looking at U.S. apartments as an example, and you know, Money Talks, we love the, exa- uh, love the opportunity of getting U.S. dollars. Yeah, so we, we talked about the fact we like apartments. So let me give for your viewers uh, consideration uh, two Canadian and two U.S. names. So in the U.S., uh, we like two names, um, Camden, which is CPT on the New York Stock Exchange. They own 59,000 apartments in the southeast, southwest, and western U.S., so all high-growth markets. It's trading at a 21% discount to its net asset value. It gives you a 3.8% yield. To buy a very, and these are high-quality apartments. They're probably better than anything you see in Canada, frankly. Uh, to buy high-quality apartments at a 20% discount to their value at this environment, highly liquid, that's compelling. 
the granddaddy in the space is also interesting. Uh, Equity Residential, this is a $27 billion market cap. Uh, gives you a 3% yield. Less compelling than Camden, but we believe there'll be improvement in the space and it will benefit because it's the, it's the poster child. In Canada, a uh, couple of names we love. Uh, one we've talked about before, Main Street, MEQ on the TSX, unique. and I haven't seen anything like this uh, really in public markets anywhere. No dividend. Uh, focus on apartments in Western Canada. Value creators. Uh, stocks worth their IFRS independent value, um, as quoted last quarter, $63, trading at $32 on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Uh, 30% of their uh, portfolio is in the lower mainland, so people in your area can go check them out. We love Main Street. Um, in Interrent, IIP on Toronto, but 450 market cap, 7,000 apartments. A little bit like Main Street, they do offer a yield, uh, about 3.5% yield, focused on Eastern Canada. So there's sort of four names in apartments that we think are really safe, quality, and compelling places for your uh, investor, your listeners to uh, consider. It's interesting. Now, in the U.S. case, in your fund, uh, obviously it's going to pay U.S. dividends. Do you, I just want, I mean, sorry, I shouldn't digress, but do you have a withholding on that, or how does that work? Because you're getting constant flow of U.S. dollars from those. Um, our funds are flow-throughs, um, so there's no tax leakage within the funds. So some of the investments, there is a, a very small withholding tax on the dividends, but we give our investors a tax information slip, and they get credit mm-hmm. for that when they they're file their taxes here in Canada. Uh, and now those would be for, sort of core positions, wouldn't they, within a portfolio? Because you're talking about uh, high quality, uh, you know, uh, buildings, you know, properties, and and significant size also. They are, buddy. You know, Interrent and Main Street, they're um, modest size in Canadian context, but we would have uh, at least equal, if not greater, rate uh, uh, weights in those names. We know them much better. Uh, clearly, it's hard to get to know a company with 59,000 apartments as much as you can. I mean, we, we tour properties, and we've toured virtually every one of Main Street's and Interrent's assets. We know management. We sleep very well at night owning Main Street and Interrent. See, I love people hearing that because that's how you approach an investment. That's what I want to get across to people, that, that level of homework, uh, you know, a very clear path, a very clear methodology and selection. Uh, you got a couple of others for us, uh, some opportunistic sure. On the ones? more opportunistic side, I'll give you one large cap and one small cap. A large cap, a company uh, in the U.S. called Forest City on the New York Stock Exchange, absolutely unique entity, been around since the 1920s. True value creators, a little bit like Morgard Court, which we talked about on prior shows. Corporation, uh, not a REIT, no dividend, uh, about five and a half billion market cap. Um, these are guys buy, you know, get control of major urban tracts of land in, in cities, and they tie up the land for 20, 30 years. They typically don't pay for it because the areas that the mayors are looking for development, uh, they don't pay for it when they get the zoning. They typically don't pay, only pay for it when they they bring on the development. So. Uh, this one of the catalysts here is they've announced they're going to become a REIT in January 2016. They will start paying a dividend. And so all the REIT mafia investors in the U.S. and globally will have an opportunity to look at Forest City. Um, Bright Path, a small cap, a mini cap here to be uh, in terms of uh, disclosure. Uh, we are the largest shareholder division. I'm chairman of this company. They're the, the largest child care center owner operator in Canada dramatically undervalued uh, on the TSX under the symbol BPE. 
And those are a couple of names that, that we like on an opportunistic side. With someone like Brightpath, uh, is it a real estate play or is it also the, you know, kind of an operations play? Both. Um, they have own real estate on their balance sheet, and to put the valuation in context, there's 120 million shares outstanding. Stocks trading around 35 cents. You can do that math. Uh, they have about $40 million of real estate they own on their balance sheet. So you can buy this company that owns and, and manages and generates about 8 to $10 million of EBITDA from 5,200 licensed childcare spaces. You get that for free, uh, basically based on the real estate value. So uh, we think this company's worth somewhere, depending on your models, between uh, 70 and $0.85 cents a share, trading at $0.32. Cents. Uh, very compelling, strong management, and uh, it's just you know one of those anomalies you, you find here in Canada. Well, I mean, it's a fascinating thing, and I think you know what I love is hearing you talk, as I say, Jeff, about the logical way that you're approaching these markets, which of course is translated into exceptional performance uh, when you're talking about the Vision Opportunity Fund. I mean, you gave some specifics there. Uh, that's what Jeff does: is manage. Uh, a fund that invests in these kinds of uh, companies. And uh, as I say, you can get more information if you just go to Vision Opportunity Funds. I mean, because they're, uh, as I say, just an absolutely fascinating look at the opportunities in the real estate market, as you heard, in both directions. Uh, so just go to Vision Capital Corporation for that. Jeff, yeah, which is, by the way, visioncap.ca. Yeah. and all the information you want uh, if you're interested you can give us a call we'd be pleased to talk to you visioncap.ca Jeff as usual thank you so much for finding time great stuff you're welcome good to talk to you Jeff Olin is president uh, I'm going to take a break I'll come back just a reminder though uh, if you're going last week we did an option seminar it was absolutely free about how to increase yield with covered call writing and that is available for free on the website, moneytalks.net. You just go there and you can click on and you can hear what they're talking about, covered call writing. Uh, as Jeff and I started the conversation, uh, you know, looking for yield, I looked at some of the numbers coming out of the states again in the last week. I mean, there I just don't see the pressure to raise interest rates, at least from an economic point of view. So there might be some opportunity there. But also you're going to find stuff by Jim Rogers on the site, Mark Faber on the site, uh, there's uh, and the lead article, the most popular article, was the week begins on a scary note. I got to take a break. I'll come back. I'm going to give you a shocking stat that I think is pivotal in understanding what's going on in the economy. I got Aussie Jurek. What an interesting way, speaking of yield, to make money in real estate. And I promise you haven't heard this one. I've also got Victor Dare live from the trading desk right here on Chorus Radio Network. Coming up, I've got a goofy award. I've also got Victor Adair live from the trading desk. Time now for this week's shocking stat of the week. You know, one of the aspects of the economy that I'm trying to bring to your attention, but it's consistently ignored, is this increasing divide between low and semi-skilled workers and people with skills in demand. You know, we talk about jobs on the election front, and it's actually farcical because the problem is with the low and semi-skilled employment. You know, our, our school systems refuse to focus on the reality of future employment. Political leaders ignore technological substitution in debates about jobs. God, I can't tell you how profoundly they're doing a disservice. And I'm not just talking our political leaders. That's an easy shot. I'm talking about the entire context of jobs, the way we discuss them, including raises to minimum wage that do not include any thought about the impact on technological substitution. Absolutely inadequate. 
And that's the context of my shocking stat. We get unemployment numbers all the time. We've got some out of the states. They say, hey, this is great, 5.1%. But they don't tell you they don't count people who are not in the workforce for six months. So here's the stat. In In September, the number of people in the U.S. out of the workforce, permanently unemployed, you ready? soared by 579,000. They've got 94.6 million people, a new record, out of the employment market. It's incredible. Here's the other side of that stat that blew me away. In August, for example, in states, that, that unemployment number is September, but in August is the latest numbers for this. 14,600 manufacturing jobs were lost. Worst month for U.S. manufacturing since January 2010. For the first time this decade, the U.S. has not created a single manufacturing job for the entire year. In fact, it's lost 6,600 jobs. Now, can you imagine that in the context of the Canadian election, what they'd be saying? Oh, the government didn't do this. President Obama, you know, no. These are trends that we are absolutely ill-prepared for. And to me, it's just tragic. There's no accountability for some of the nonsense we hear from an economic perspective, and jobs are no different. In fact, they're very close to leading the way on that. I'm telling you right now, the job prescriptions being offered up are actually going to increase unemployment anytime someone talks about raising taxes on business. When you don't reform the educational system, you are leading people you are absolutely going to be leaving tons of people out in the cold. The list is actually a long one on that. And it's three levels of government. We're talking about a federal election, that's nonsense. I can tell you we've got some municipalities absolutely destroying job creation. You've got provincial governments enacting legislation that is anti jobs, anti economic growth. The list is a long one. But talk about the forgotten group as usual. In the States it was just a great example. Record number of people permanently out of the market. Ninety four point six million people. Hey, there's only 149 million people working. How's that working out? I'll take a break. I'll come back. I've got Ozzy Jurek joining me. He's got a very interesting way. If you're looking for yield in real estate, I bet this wasn't top of mind. He's also got some hot properties for us right here on the Chorus Radio Network. Got a goofy award for you coming up in just a couple of minutes. But first, Ozzy Jurek joins me now. Ozzy, it's amazing to me when I sit back and look at the entire investment market, really the level of change that's been produced by the manipulation of interest rates being down. I talked to Jeff Olin a few minutes ago, but we talk about it every week, and that is, you know, people's being forced to search for yield. Hey, it's great to be a borrower in this environment, hardly good to be a pension fund or any, or any individual that needs income from their investments. Uh, and I, I saw something that you had written about a while ago uh, that I thought you know kind of caught my eye. We're not hearing a lot about this. What, what's the idea? 
Well, like when you mentioned pension funds, BC's Public Pension Fund and the Investment Management Board bought the biggest modular park portfolio in the country for $790 million five years ago, and they've been buying mobile home parks ever since, and that seems to be sort of a real interest for the big boys. <clears throat> I mean, giant Canadian apartment property REIT has bought a dozen mobile home parks across the country, and they keep on adding, uh, particularly the large, modern, high-end uh, mobile home parks, because the yield is there. So we're talking trailer parks. Trailer parks, you bet, yeah. yeah. You and I'll be the trailer park boys today. <laughs> but that is interesting. That's where the big money's going, as you say. I mean, pension funds, are. people have got to appreciate this. They're under enough pressure already because people are living longer. Obviously, we've been talking about the retirement age coming through. I noticed, by the way, the mainstream media got that today. We've been talking about it for 10 years here, that it's going to be a huge <laughs> challenge. Uh, you know. And so look at what they're going. They're looking for yield anywhere they can get it. And I found that fascinating to see that they've gone into trailer parks in some instances. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, in 1987, uh, the pension funds uh, and, and REITs uh, that uh, were hardly in real estate at all, not, not the REITs, of course, no, but the pension funds were hardly in it at all. But after the collapse of the stock market in 87, they went to two, two and three percent, but they looked at high-quality apartment and sort of commercial properties. Now they're in the whole real estate uh, environment because of the yield. Because now, look, if you go to Vancouver Island and the Okanagan, you can get a cap rate of some five to six percent. Where can you get that today? Not at the bank. What, what you're talking about, by the way, with a cap rate, just to make it simple, is that, you know, what return on your investment you're going to get. Like you put in 100 grand in the bank, if it was a six or five, six percent, uh, you know, interest rate, that's kind of what we're talking about with cap rates here. Hey, by the way, just, uh, just quickly, you meant, you, I think you misspoke. It's 2007 that we went forward with. That's where you started to see this monster shift, right in, in correlation with the manipulation of interest rates to record lows. Um, let's talk individuals, though. If they were going to take advantage of that, um, you know, it, like it's fine. You know, uh, give me some hints about what individuals do in this in this well, sphere. Well, individuals in BC, they're buying the smaller parks, so, and some of them are older. They're 40 years old. They may have septic tanks, and there might have few units. But the correct characteristics are the same. They can be operated remotely, and they have nice cap rates because, like I said, six to eight percent is not uncommon in small town trailer parks. Number one thing you'd check if you were looking at one. I'm sorry. What would be the number one sort of thing you'd check if you were looking at one in terms of, uh, you know, negatives, if you know what I mean? Well, the, the place it's in. If it's a very small town, will I have the tenants that, that'll rent, rent the pads for me? Number two, what shape is it in? Do I have to put in a lot of money to bring it up to date? But I mean, yeah. last year, 22 mobile homes parks sold in BC with a value of some $31 million. That's 26% higher compared to 2013. And the most of the sales were in the 500000 to a $1 million range. So the demand is, is there, and particularly in the Okanagan Valley and also on Vancouver Island. Well, I know you've been looking at, uh, uh, you know, individual kind of examples. Can you give me one or two examples? Yeah, for instance, Nanaimo is a 50-pad park for $2.5 million. There's a 21-pad park in Barrier for a million and a half, 62 in Williams Lake for $2.1 million, and a 100-pad park near Victoria for just under $10 million. So there are some available. <clears throat> now, whether they're good deals, you have to check that out yourself. Well, I, I like your your point about make sure that, you know, if they're older, you've, you might have a hydro deal going on. You might have uh, some sewer to upgrade, that kind of stuff. So obviously you would check that. But I, I just think it's a very interesting area, uh, you know, especially when it caught my eye when I see, <laughs> excuse me, pension funds who would do a, an inordinate amount of research on this stuff have moved into this area, as you've elaborated, Ozzy. And I think it's valuable for individuals that they could do it too. But 
just to know that that's where some people are finding yield. What about hot properties? Yeah, and just very quickly, some of these parks also have the possibility to maybe start a title and then sell each pad individually, and there could be a huge uh, uh, capital gain increase yeah. there, just in, in addition to the cash flow. Hot properties, we've got a, a new uh, condo in Abbotsford, 129 um, Taxes, strata, and mortgage fees are paid, paid by the developer, and he'll give a rental guarantee for two years. So he's got a studio at 129.9, and he also has a one-bedroom at 149.9, brand-new unit. And then we have a sealed bid auction on a six-year-old luxury condo in Kimberley, and the opening bids are $50,000, and that's going to take place on October 15. No idea what it will sell for, but it's kind of a unique deal because it's a beautiful, beautiful unit. So uh, just uh, I'm not familiar with that. So a sealed bid means uh, I just sort of put down my best number and then they just uh, say which one was highest, basically? Something like that. Yeah, it's actually on MLS and the the agent puts in there that it's on at $50,000. And I guess that's the starting point, the details you would get by simply calling him. But yeah, that's the idea. Um, and, and you might offer 52 or 60 or whatever you think is is fair. But it's kind of unique in that it's uh, it's on a ski hill. It's like uh, 100 yards from the from the court yeah. chair. And uh, it's, it shows that the market in, in some of the, the smaller towns just hasn't recovered to the same extent as it has in Vancouver. Interesting stuff. Thanks as always, Ozzy. Thanks for having me, Mike. You can go to www.jurek.com. Click on the hot property button. What an interesting discussion, though, about trailers uh, and trailer parks there. i got to take a break. I'm coming back. i got a goofy, but I'm going live to the trading desk first with Victor Adair. And a reminder, if you go to moneytalks.net, you can just click on that free option seminar that we did a week ago about, again, speaking of yield, you know, writing covered call options uh, on that, uh, plus uh, a whole raft of terrific articles. And the other thing I hope you do is get in the habit of clicking on uh, the business comment of the day. Uh, I do Monday to Friday. Uh, my goal is just to change the conversation. I'm not looking for people to agree. I'm looking for people to stop ignoring the facts, ignoring the research, ignoring the consequences. And that's exactly what I feel has happened during this federal election campaign. I mean, they're talking about my wheelhouse. They're, sal- they're telling us the top issues every poll said is going to be economic or financial in nature. Well, wouldn't you think we'd want to raise the level of discussion on that? You can do that, getting the facts at moneytalks.net. Back in a minute with Victor Adair live. I'm going to go live to the trading desk. Victor Dare waits there. Hey, Vic, I think Friday kind of summed up things in the market in case people missed it. I mean, I'm looking at that opening. What was it, down about 270 points? And then it rallies, uh, gosh, what, 470, you know, from there to finish up the day and finish up the week. I mean, that's what we've been seeing, this incredible volatility. Mike, there was two things that really stuck out this week uh, to me, at least in terms of the markets. One was that incredible volatility in the Dow Jones, but it was across markets. I mean, Monday morning, we're down 330 points. By Wednesday afternoon, we recovered all of that and a little bit more, then took another plunge of 270 points on Friday morning and spun it around, and in the course of about four or five hours, rallied almost 500 points. Uh, I mean, this is unprecedented volatility. I will tell you, I don't really understand why it's happening. I have some guesses. Certainly part of it is what we call high-frequency trading. We've got these supercomputers that are ultra-fast, 
and they just trade off of each other. And this isn't people making judgments anymore. It's just machines playing chess with each other or whatever. But here's, there, there's also, it's symptomatic, I think, of real uncertainty in the market. And, you know, there you go. I, what, what I'm actually doing in an environment like this, I go, I, I think I'll just step back and let you guys fight it out. And when I see something that I want to do, I'll step in. But I don't need to be in there and, and get chewed up. I mean, I, I started the week short. I thought, oh, this is great. The market's down 330 points. A day and a half later, I was lucky to get out with my skin. So, you know, it's that kind of a market. Well, one of the things that we've been saying, and uh, you certainly has made a very clear point of, and I think it's an excellent point, is the market always is trading something. It doesn't necessarily trade what I want. I'll give you an example quickly in the gold market. You know, people say, well, we've got geopolitical problems. We've got this huge money printing press, whatever it is. Well, the market's not trading that right now. It's very clear. You don't go from 1900 down to 1130 or something when it's trading that. Well, I saw that on Friday. I really like this. We got the U.S. unemployment report comes out and the market drops. But then I think people start going, hey, wait a minute. That means the Federal Reserve isn't going to raise interest rates, and that's what they traded ultimately. Yeah, and it it could have been that. And as I say, you know, these the machines are yeah, really big. Mike, just to switch gears at first to go to this. The other thing that I thought was really important, I mean, everybody knows the Dow went up and down, but here's the thing that you didn't see that was really important this last week, and that was that credit spreads widened. What that basically means is that while the bond market for good quality bonds, and let's put that in parentheses, but, you know, Government of Canada bonds, the United States Treasuries, were rallying to the best prices we've seen in months, junky stuff. In other words, the kind of interest rates that shaky borrowers have to pay were going sharply higher. So the spread between these two things was really widening out to about the four-year four wides. What that means then is capital is not willing to place bets on risky guys they want to go the capital wants to go where it's safe and that's going to have an impact on terms of borrowing costs for for people out there that haven't got you know triple a credit we only got a moment here but uh, you know one of the things that occurs to me on that is that you know this is what you're not in control of is that you know any day we can get sort of a surprise announcement about somebody not meeting their debt obligations uh, that to me is is almost uh, the highest probability things i can look uh, when i look out there i don't know if it's going to be a bank i don't know if it's going to be a country i don't know if it's going to be you know be a company but that's what i think that's also reflecting yeah yeah for sure i mean the 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 market is a voting machine and a weighing machine as ben graham used to say and uh, the like there's so many things that we can focus on here, but I guess, Mike, I think my, my, my seat that I take when I look at trading is I'm a professional worry wart, and I'm always <laughs> thinking that the hangover after the party is going to last much longer, be much more painful than you thought. When the market's on a tear to the upside, you know, money gets thrown at it willy-nilly, and then when the market is on its down cycle, you know, the people that went uh, drank a little bit too much are going to suffer some pain. Well, let's keep in mind we're still down 1,900 points from the highs in May, you know, for the Dow Jones. So uh, I think the Money Talks call about it's going to be a very choppy market with not a lot of progress is absolutely right on. As I say, I never mind having cash. I like that, uh, what Jeff Olin said, best way to make money for investors is not to lose it. That's your first job. And I know that's it. When you say you're a professional worry ward, I think you get a pat in the back from Jeff. Thanks, Victor. Always great. Hey, great. Talk again the next week, Mike. Time now for this week's Goofy Award. Talk about the power of the status quo. 
I want you to think about this. Oh, by the way, I've got to thank Victor Adair first before I get to that. I want to thank Jeff Olin, thank Michael Levy, thanks Melia in the uh, control booth, and also remind you that Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club uh, is royalty-based. What that means, if you're not clear, is that you get paid first before anyone else. Uh, secondly, it's no fees, and it's in the tech sector. So if you want to examine that uh, uh, for your portfolio, just go to soleraclub.com. Okay, back to the goofy. Canadians regularly complain about things like high gas prices. Come on, every time we get a spike, you've got all sorts of people running around accusing oil companies of gouging. But juxtapose that with this. You never hear a word about the dairy or the poultry, the egg marketing boards that the government's put on us that expressed uh, goal is to raise prices, restrict production, restrict com- uh, competition. Now, this is the thing. The conference board estimates that it's going to cost you, the consumer, cost me, on average, nearly $300 per year. I mean, that's higher like yogurt prices, cheese prices, uh, milk. We could get into eggs. We could get into poultry. In a recent study, though, published by the Canadian Public Policy Institute, three University of Manitoba researchers estimated that the high prices cost us, on average, income boat. 0.8%. 0.8%. It's like you got a, uh, what's the opposite? You got a, a salary cut. But you know who gets hit the most? Low income families. It's well over twice as bad for them. Why? Because they have less disposable income. And by the way, I might add that my challenge for you is to find a single independent economist or analyst who supports supply management. It's bad for the overall economy. But my goofy is. Why do we complain about stuff like high gas prices and start talking about gouging? And this is never even on the agenda. Anyways, it's kind of an interesting uh, dichotomy in the Canadian public. That's all the time we have. A reminder, go to moneytalks.net. Lots of great articles for you there. But you can re-listen to any portion of the show. Listen anytime you want by going to moneytalks.net. Plus, I do my midweek interview Uh, uh, that I get interviewed on all sorts of topics, financial, plus, of course, the business comment. Thanks for listening.